is The Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, presented by Big O Tires. Stop by your locally owned Big O Tires for no credit needed financing and the best prices on tires. Big O Tires, the team you trust. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. This is The Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 the zone it's time to uh talk a little college football with one of the best let's get out to the smart lorraine special guest line it's no mystery utah's in an extreme drought that's why smart rain is the solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation find out more at smartrain.net. of course he makes the magic happen for cbs sports he's dennis dodd with us here on the big show hi dennis thanks for a few minutes how are you good how are you Hey, we're doing great. I mean, uh, talk about uh, a lot to talk to you about with college football going on, but uh, let's start right out of the gate. Your your take on BYU snapping the streak and getting a win over Utah for the first time in 12 years. Yeah, very convincing, very physical. Um, there's obviously more there from last year lingering on than a lot of people thought. 13 out of the last 14 now. Um, and I actually think, I mean, I watched the game, I actually think BYU got some added momentum out of being, you know, the announcement for the Big 12. I can't prove that, but I mean, you could add, you could kind of sense it in the stands. I mean, it was just something, something different. Obviously, it's a big rivalry game with Utah, but I thought I thought that helped. So, what did you think about uh, BYU being invited to the Big 12? Obviously, you wrote a lot about that, uh, and the other teams added in, and the the welfare of the Big 12 overall. Yeah, it's. It was uh, the biggest piece. BYU is the biggest piece of those three. Um, I think the the fan following has been well documented. Um, the TV appeal has been documented. Uh, BYU is a brand name. You know, back when they won um, the national championship in '84, nobody talked about the Group of Five or, or the Power Five. The WAC was, you know, the WAC was a pretty good conference. It was still a surprise that they were the last ones standing at the end of the season. But I think they proved that season that they were going to be a program that was going to dedicate resources to football for the nation to see, and and that's what's held on um, through this period of independence. And now they've held on long enough to grab the brass ring. If you know, if you believe that the Big 12 is going to retain Power 5 status, and I, I kind of think they are. So with that in mind, then, how valuable is this new league? No doubt without Texas and Oklahoma, they'll take a bit of a haircut, but adding these teams, how much of a financial victory is this for BYU? Well, not knowing exactly what BYU makes. I mean, I, I've only seen estimates off that contract with ESPN, uh, and I don't, you know, because it is, you know, we can't get to their records. It's a private school. Uh, I have to think it's going to be a, a monetary advantage for them. You know, I've kind of, kind of, kind of settled in um, with these twelve schools, kind of a 12, twenty to twenty-five million dollar range and what it's worth. But I talked to a, a consultant Saturday in the press box at Ohio State, and he said he thinks it's going to be worth a lot more than that. Um, Especially now, uh, BYU can't get to it, but those eight remaining Big 12 schools are making $37 million on average per year from Fox and ESPN and the NCAA tournament and bowl distribution. But all those contracts are, are back backloaded um, because that's the way the networks want to do business. That's how they want to do accounting. So there may be more to this than uh, 
for BYU and those other three schools when they get in. Now, for the Big 12, it's going to take some belt tightening. You know, again, they're, they're used to getting $37, $40 million per year in revenue to run their athletic department. Uh, that's going to be the interesting thing. You know, can, I, can an Iowa State keep a Matt Campbell? You know, can they go after some of the top coaches in the country when there's an opening? Well, that remains to be seen. Any chance that the uh, those remaining eight teams in the Big 12, any of them could be cherry-picked to other leagues, or do you think that's uh, overblown? I, I don't think so now. I mean, I think that's why you saw the Big 12 move. Um, you had the alliance with the Pac-12, Big 10, and ACC, and they're kind of doing business on their own. Um, you had the Pac-12 say, we're not going to expand. And I think for all intents and purposes, the, the SEC's done. And then you get back to the, you know, to the reality that those eight schools aren't don't bring any value really to uh, any other uh, um, Power Five conference. So that leaves them out on an island. So when those two things happened, they had to make a move, and they, they did a great job. They moved quickly. I mean, that Friday announcement it was quick. They got them in. You know, the only question is when they start BYU in 2023. Than the other three, maybe maybe as early as that. So, and as I wrote Friday, they may not be done. Um, the Big Twelve is, is, you know, is at least betting other schools. They may want to go bigger. They may want to go to sixteen and um, uh, Memphis and Boise have been mentioned most prominently. What do you think about USC moving on from Clay Helton and the the timing of this all? Yeah, I mean that's the only problem I had with it. The timing, if if they were so dissatisfied with him after two games, why didn't you do this in the off season and start over? You know, it took, it took another bad, you know, game against Stanford to open some eyes at USC. They, they could have saved a lot of time and worry. And if I'm a USC player right now, I got some serious questions about, you know, the administration tanking on this season, you know, they'll say no, but there's an interim coach and the biggest football news out of USC right now is hiring a new head coach going forward. So, um, and they'll get somebody good. I, I think. I mean, this is really on the new, or not not new, but the athletic director Mike Bone, who used to be at Colorado in Cincinnati, and the president Carol Foltz, who used to be at North Carolina. They need to emphasize football, which is not something the Pac-12 schools do all the time. And that's you know that's why they're in this situation where they haven't been in the CFP for five years and have won a national championship since 2004. You said you were at that Ohio State Oregon game. Uh, what'd you what you make of the way that thing uh, turned out? I thought Oregon. The, there were two two storylines. Oregon established itself, its physicality in the shoe, which is I think something a lot of us never thought we'd see, especially offensively. And then played a really good, gutty tactical game on defense with I think three starters out and then five other five players total in the two deep. They ended up missing and, and held on defensively. Um, and then Ohio State's defense, which has some profound problems. They uh, Two years ago, under Jeff Hathley, the defensive coordinator, they led the country 4.19 yards per snap defensively. So far this year, it's 6.19, two more yards per snap. And in the last, oh, what is it, the last three games total, Ohio State's given up 1,534 yards. That's more yards than J.K. Dobbins, their star tailback, had rushing alone in uh, in 2017. And that's just in the last three games. 
Arizona State will be in town to take on BYU this weekend, and of course Utah plays them later on this season. But want to ask you how that whole situation with the investigation, how that will eventually play out. And Herm Edwards was pretty definitive. Pac-12 Media Day wasn't going to affect this season. He was not going to let it affect what's happening on the field. Second part of the question is: Is that even possible? Yeah, I mean that's only within the that locker room to answer that question. Um, it looks like they're being proactive by putting those three assistants on administrative leave as a show of good faith to the NCAA that they've self-penalized, maybe, if you want to call it that. But I, I think that's not enough. Given given what we've read and what's been chronicled pretty well in that dossier, these aren't allegations. Somebody's seen, you know, has, has video and pictures and, um, you know, testimony from people inside that program who have seen uh, players brought up the back stairs to meet Herm Edwards in his office in the middle of COVID. So there's there's an NCAA rules violation. And there's really a health and ethical violation there if all this is true. Um, and I think that's what really bothers everybody in the game, that not everybody was doing this. It looks like Tennessee was. It looks like Arizona State was. But everybody at least was trying to abide by the health health standards during that time. So, you know, will it affect them? I don't know. I mean, they could they could make a statement by self-imposing a bowl ban this year, but I think there's too much at stake. And they'll try to kick the can down the road. And if these, these allegations are true, then there's going to be a bowl ban. There are going to be scholarships. And how that affects Herm Edwards, you know, and, and Ray Anderson, the AD, I don't know. Circling back on uh, SC's coaching search, who do you think are the top three candidates? Um, I think it's Luke Fickles to turn down. Uh, Mike Bone hired him at Cincinnati, and he has developed the best group of five, group of five program to date. Uh, they finished eighth in the country last year, been to a couple uh, New Year's Six Bowls, uh, played Georgia to their knees. I think USC really wants to take a look at Mario Cristobal, if they can pry him loose from, from Oregon. And the third name is James Franklin at Penn State, who recruits well. Um, is really good in every phase of the game. Has taken Penn State to a Rose Bowl, won a Big Ten, um, and and plays in the second toughest division in college football in any given year, the Big Ten East. So I think those those are the three names to me to watch. So if we get crazy here and and project, if BYU were to what would BYU have to do now? Utah's one of the best teams on the schedule. And if they get past Arizona State, what does that mean for their future this year? Uh, do they have a shot at shocking the world? Or is that just not going to happen no matter what they do? It, I think it looks a lot like the schedule did last year where there's too many holes in the schedule, despite what you just mentioned, to measure up against you know, whoever the four are going to be. You can almost pencil in Alabama and Georgia right now. Um, there's never been a school in the history of the CFP to get in with two losses. So I would advise BYU to go undefeated and, and take its chances. You know, Notre Dame's even iffy at that point, um, as we've seen two of the last three years. So, yeah, I, I, I'm not thinking about – that's not what – leaps to the top of mind right now. BYU is a playoff <laughs> team, but I could be wrong. Dennis, thank you very much for jumping on the show as always. We appreciate your time. All right. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you. Dennis Dodd uh, writes for CBSSports.com, color, uh, covers college football, uh, wrote extensively about what you asked him about with UFC, USC, uh, possible candidates to to jump in there and replace him. Uh, 
is going to be fickle. Did you see him give the Drove no comment him. comment today? <laughs> no, no, really. Yeah. So if that is in fact the case, then can that program continue on uh, doing what it's been doing? That that's the tricky thing about some of these teams that probably deserve a lot of credit, but they can they sustain it after the head coach is gone? I I don't know the answer. Well, I think it, they're they're going to be done with this. Do we keep the interim guy thing? I think. At least it seems that way to me that they're going to look outward for their next coach, which I think is the smart thing to do. Looking internally at USC, you know, even going back to replacing Pete Carroll, you know, where they went with Lane Kiffin, they went with somebody inside, right? And I get that temptation coming off of a run like Pete Carroll made. You want to keep it going. You know, Utah did that with Urban uh, Meyer. When Urban left, they promoted Coach Witt, who, of course, was the defensive coordinator, you know, wanting to keep the momentum of the program going. It worked in Utah's case. In in USC, it has not for a variety of reasons, not always, you know, nuts and bolts football, right? Well, my original question had to do with Cincinnati. And if they lose Luke Fickle, will they be able to sustain the success that they've Oh, had? I apologize. Yeah, well, yeah. it depends on who they replace him with, right? Yeah. I, I just that, – that's the question well, they're, they're, that comes to mind with a program that, um, you know, has done really well of late, but there are still some questions by some people. Well, why why are they winning? And this, this gets into something you and I touched on a little bit yesterday. Is it strictly because their coach is some sort of master of football, uh, uh, you know, planning and such? Or Sometimes are there, it is. Or, right. Or are there other things that has contributed to the success therein? Like Boise State has done an incredible job re- replacing coach after coach. Yeah, that's true. And so, yeah, some of those coaches probably knew what they were doing. But there's also something going on at Boise that they have figured out that gives them an edge given their circumstance. Right, Dan Hawkins has the edge at Boise State, goes to Colorado, and good heavens, could that have gone any worse? Yeah, it could not. So why is Cincinnati winning? Is it simply because their coach is some sort of savant, or are there other things going on? And we don't know. I mean, we're not close enough to that program to really, you know. Like, what made it work for Coach Mack and what made it work for for Urban Meyer at Utah, I think Coach Witt kind of put those together to form his own philosophy, which has obviously worked. Bronco did it a different way than Kalani. So is it because they figured something out or are they maximizing different advantages? Are they doing things more similarly than I'm giving them credit for? I mean, I, it's a fascinating conversation, but rarely is it because the coach is some sort of just genius. Well, even though Ohio State lost to Oregon this last weekend, uh, it seems like that success has been sustained. Well, know? we'll see because Urban hadn't been gone that long. Yeah. But but Urban himself is figuring out that harsh lesson when I don't have the best players. I <laughs> how's that going to go? I don't automatically have the best players in the game. Well, geez, how 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 am I going to how am I going to figure out how to do this? It's it's really the $64,000 question when it comes to programs around the country who want to have and continue to have a successful football program. Uh it's I don't know where you draw the line as far as percentages go. Well, how much, how much falls on the head coach and hiring the right guy, and how much falls into the category of having 
enough money to pay the players that you're recruiting. Oh, look at you. Now legal. I'd say 90% of it is recruiting. I'm trying to think of boosters in programs and how what they what happens to the money that they contribute, and what does that make the program uh, have advantages that other programs don't? What do you mean? Well, I mean the whole relationship between uh, opportunity created by dollars within the program, not necessarily paying the players, but within the program itself. I mean, we've seen what Phil Knight's influence on the Oregon football program has been. Well, resources. But Resor- some schools re- have resources, and it, it doesn't really matter. Well, some schools aren't doing, are making the right decisions <laughs> with those resources. I'll be that gone. Right. That's why it's important to how all that runs. It, it, it's why it's important to have a well-run athletic department. It's why I think uh, the good doctor, Chris Hill, was smart when, when Utah first got into the Pac-12, because I'm sure it was really tempting knowing that there were some big paychecks coming down the, the pike to spend like a drunken sailor. He didn't do that. He made investments in the athletic department. He prioritized certain things, but he didn't all of a sudden go crazy, Right. I mean, UCLA and Cal have already spent every dollar they're going to make before <laughs> until like 2030 or something crazy. Well, this is one of the reasons why I think Utah and BYU have uh, deserve credit for making a lot of what they have. I agree. And have both schools, it seems, have found good ways to play their advantages. You, you and I have heard uh, some of, uh, of Coach Witt's uh, philosophies off the field and some of uh, the, the way he recruits and does things like that. And he's found a way to really make it work at, at Utah. Although, remember, a couple of years ago, the uh, recruiting dollars came out and Utah had spent the most yeah. of all the schools in the Pac-12. It's a pretty good place recruiting. to prioritize that dollar. Because so it's that's not how as though you... they're, they're on the street uh, with a cup out trying True. to— True. But know. talking Southern California young people into coming to Salt Lake City is not easy. Or Texas young people into coming to Salt Lake City is not easy. Don't they like the mountains? It's just different. I And that's no knock on Salt Lake City. Talking them into going, I don't know, going to Boise or going to school towns in the south, recruiting to Fayetteville. You know, I mean, it, a lot of times it, it requires young people to go way outside of their comfort zone and have a little faith. Well, all and, I can tell you, if I'm a, a high school football star and Utah shows up on my doorstep recruiting me and I find out that Utah is the happiest state in the country— and I want to go where people are happy. Is that true? Yeah. Utah's the happiest state in the country? That's what I read today. Number Who one. Who wrote that? Travel Utah? No. They didn't ask me. Number one. Google it. Number one happiest state what's in the, the country uh, is Utah. What's the criteria? I've always Googled. Beats the heck out of me. <laughs> Let's see. Because we also use the, the most per capita antidepressant drugs. <laughs> Okay. Here we go. Wallet Hub. Wallet Hub. What are they based it on? That's also Amazon purchases. We buy the most stuff here. Whatever. We don't need to read this live on the well, yeah, well, yeah, We should. I mean, it's, it's not good news for Utah. Let's see. Happiest state. Utah ranked happiest state in America. I'm reading this from, uh, where is this from? Fox 13. 
says, with all due respect to the Partridge family, Utah couldn't get any happier, at least according to a new study that ranks the state the happiest in America. Of all the 50 U.S. states, Wallet Hub says Utah has the biggest smile on its collective face. Last year, in the middle of the pandemic, Utah ranked second behind Hawaii, and this year they finished first. Uh, Utah ranked number one in the number of work hours, volunteer rate, sports participation, and divorce rate categories, and was top 10 in a number of others. Yeah. How about that, Utah? Big old smile on your face. Are you happy? I'm always happy. Austin, are you happy? Smile! Yeah. I'm happy. We're all happy. The big show's happy. Utah's happy. We're all damn happy. So he is. So Kyle Whittingham goes into a living room and says, hey, come to the happiest place on earth. I thought that was Disney. No, it's here. Because I'm sure the our divorce rate matters a lot to a 17-year-old <laughs> person from San Clemente High School. <laughs> oh, what's that you say about your divorce rate? Uh, okay, well, I wasn't convinced before. but I was going to Ohio State, <laughs> yeah. but hey. They did not care about volunteer hours? They did not care about... Nope. Uh, Emotional well-being? No, well, actually, they rank ninth in that category. Uh, let's see. Community and environment first. Work environment first. So you're out there on the practice field. You're on the happiest practice field in America. We'll have more Big Show coming up next, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.